Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. For more Roy Green, visit RoyGreen.com for podcasts, blogs, highlights, and even a nice picture of Roy. Back to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. In 2014-2015, I think the number is 138,000 patients in uh, Canada's hospitals suffered needlessly because of procedures that were done on them, procedures that didn't necessarily have to happen, suffering that wasn't necessary. We'll do a show on this specifically shortly. Healthcare does fail patients. A friend of mine contacted me a few weeks ago, and he, he said, I, uh, I want you to talk to my neighbor. And then he told me his neighbor's story. And so I called Charlotte, and I found out about her 29-year-old daughter. And that's what, uh, that's what we're, go- we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Charlotte's daughter and what happened in the, and how the healthcare system didn't work the way it's supposed to, and how people fall through the cracks, and what can happen when that happens, and how you should all take steps constantly to protect yourselves. I'm also going to share something that that I haven't shared on the air in in any detail. I I tweeted a little bit about it earlier today. You know, my wife died. Um, This is where I run into trouble. Um, we have talked about this, right? And I know it's very, very difficult to talk about. Period. And I really appreciate you helping me and supporting me talking about Jesse by sharing your own. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Roy. You and I have had some lengthy conversations, and uh, they've helped me. So thank you for that. Tell You're us about. Welcome. I'll, I'll tell the story about what happened with Liana shortly. Uh, tell us about Jesse. Um, Just the person. Very, very kind of difficult story. Jess, um, my beautiful 29-year-old daughter, uh, struggled for about the last eight years with an eating disorder. And she had roller coaster rides, ups and downs, and always struggled with electrolytes. That is one of the most brutal side effects of eating disorder illnesses. And had been in hospital uh, had gone to emerge uh, in November, just prior to our, our trauma, and um, been told that after blood tests, her electrolytes were very low, and she was to get herself to emerge and, and uh, get some intravenous. And uh, this was sort of set up as, as a monthly um, a test that they were going to follow. And she had, just prior to the incident, uh, been in for blood on the Friday, um, she had gone early enough, about 11.30, 12.30, uh, 
quarter to 12 and had her blood taken. And we kind of spent through the the rest of that weekend. She was kind of tired, but just we had a lovely weekend, very calm, very quiet, and uh, hadn't heard. But there was no, no information relayed about blood tests at all. And at the end of the day, um, I went up to take her some water and ice that she had asked for, and there I found her not breathing. Um, she had very clearly had a massive cardiac trauma. Um, I started CPR and called 911, and what unfolded after that was probably uh, the most traumatic experience that I, I will say I hope I ever I ever experienced in my life. Um, the EMS people, the police that were here, the um, Emerge and ICU staff were extremely proficient. They were absolutely wonderful. Um, the most difficult for me in the first 24 hours was coming home and uh, tr- just trying to pack up some things that they had asked me to bring in for Jess and listening to my answering machine on the Monday night, and there was a message for Jess um, from her physician to get to Emerge because her electrolytes were red flag critical. Well, so let's go through this. So Friday morning, 1130, uh, Jesse goes for the blood test that's required. Correct. So there's plenty of time left in that day to, if it's an emergent situation, to find out and do something about it. And, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Roy. No, no, no. I don't want to interrupt you. Well, if um, if they had, if 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 she had perhaps gone to the doctor, that might have made a difference, and he could have seen the blood. But there wasn't an appointment, and she was just waiting until, you know, she was contacted that anything might be wrong. Right. So, but but the blood test shows that the, her electrolytes were critically low. And if your electro or your potassium, your, your potassium is if it's critically low, you're in heart attack territory. Correct. I saw that with with my wife when her um, potassium levels were low, they would they got extremely low. Uh, one time they they sent an ambulance. They that got is they, correct. they got that the they got the tests and they didn't even call us. But the they called they they called, they called the ambulance first and then they called us and said that ambulance is on the way. Correct. In November, when she had had her blood done, and her level actually at that point, I found out was the uh, the same. Um, her physician had phoned her and said, "Sit down, do not go anywhere. Um, do you have a ride to the hospital? If not, I'm going to phone an ambulance now." Okay, so that was November. That was in November. Now this December weekend, and it's before Christmas. Yes. This December weekend, Jesse went in at 11:30 to the lab to have the blood test done. Correct. Clearly, by the end of the day, they have, if it's an emergent situation, and they knew what, that, that this was a situation, hers was a situation, they would analyze the test right away because, because of what she was living with, what the dangers were. Correct. So they had the information on Friday. On Sunday night, your daughter has the massive cardiac arrest that you described, and she's rushed to the hospital. Correct. On Monday, after you've been at the hospital with your daughter, you come home in the evening, and there's a message from Jesse's do- uh, doctor saying, "Get to emergency because of potassium the, levels. Because your potassium levels. So it took two and a half days 
That is correct. For that information to get from the lab to you. That is correct. In the interim, your daughter's had a massive heart attack. And she's in the hospital. And was down too long and died on December 27th. Oh, my God. Yes. I think we're going to take a break. Okay? Is that okay, Charlotte? Thank you. Let's take a break. We're going to come back and we'll talk more to... uh, Charlotte, this is so important because there is a component to this that we haven't talked about yet. And even if you don't have any health issues now, please listen. Because it's things that you need to do for yourself so that the system, so you can't, I shouldn't say you can't, so there's less of a chance that you'll fall through the cracks. Don't go away. He weighs both sides of the story and chooses what's right over what's wrong. More Roy Green on the Chorus Radio Network. The common denominator... The common denominator that's always been the same when it comes to people who share an extremely difficult occurrence in their lives, very painful, often involving losing a loved one. The common denominator about why they'll speak on the air, why they'll go public, is because they want to protect other people from experiencing what they have. And that's the situation with Charlotte, who's joining us to talk about the death of her 29-year-old daughter, Jessie, and the information about her blood test obtained on a Friday, that her potassium levels were critically low and she should report to an emergency room. It wasn't delivered to her, weren't delivered until sometime late on Monday. Meanwhile, on Sunday, Jessie had a heart attack, which would, by December the 27th, cost her her life. Charlotte, there's there's something that you want to share with people about what they, what the system says you can do, should do, that is supposed to protect you from what happened to Jesse. It's the funniest thing, Roy. We, um, we being Jesse's very, very close and dear friends, but more importantly, uh, her father and her sister and and aunts and uncles who have, and and cousins who have lost a brilliant, beautiful woman, dogged by an eating disorder, something that. Uh, is never spoken about or recognized um, in actual fact it's it's shamed that she had issues that were going to reoccur and if these issues her electrolytes her potassium which had been followed and and noted and worked on over the last course of perhaps two or three years were going to be that critical my question is how did such a critical life-and-death piece of information, one blood result, not get to her? And when you look at what happens when the average person goes to a lab, they go in, they take their number, uh, they're registered, they present their form, they get their blood, and that is the end. And I'm saying if this had been that critical, why wasn't Jesse given or told 
personally in 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 the moment face to face that she needed to check this result herself although she has no training uh, she's not a medical person she's not in the medical field at all um, that there were options available to her that she could have seen her own blood result within two days or two hours and apparently uh, labs private labs that are now collecting blood uh, are apparently handing out brochures or have posters that you're allowed to go on and register and screen your own blood before it's even seen by your doctor. So my question again is, why is this not given to all people? Yeah. I, I, had, I had a blood test done not long ago. Nobody said anything to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I went in. I took my number, as you said. I gave them my health card. I went in. I had the blood test done. They said bye-bye. I said bye-bye, and I waited for the doctor to call me. Exactly. And, and this is a case of um, we're often, we often live by, in, in looking after our own health care, mm-hmm. no news is good news. Exactly. And in actual fact, no news means no one is telling you anything. So the option exists with these private labs that we know of uh, that you can fill out a, f- a form or a pamphlet or, or, or some sort of instructional or that, 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 or, that, that shows you how to go online right. and register and perhaps pay right. uh, for a period of time where you can go on and um, get your own blood results immediately. If Jess had had her blood, uh, as the option was, was never available and is not available now because it was cut back uh, at, a, at an outpatient lab at a hospital, um, it is the hospital's then responsibility to inform the individual if there is an issue. You know, putting the onus on the patient is not fair because you don't know who the patient is. You don't know what the patient's circumstances are. You don't want to know what the patient's faculties and capabilities are. And if, 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 a, if a lab result shows that there is an absolutely emergent situation, that a heart attack is likely going to be the result of not reporting to an ER quickly, then the system, the healthcare system that we trust in, has every responsibility. We're talking about literally life and death situation. And the healthcare system has the responsibility to do anything and everything in its power to locate that person, or locate next of kin, or locate a, a contact person, and make sure that information is delivered immediately, not two and a half days later, after the person's had a heart attack is in, and is dying. In fact, if and that here, herein lies the, the, to me, the most significant question that I'm quite sure if Jess were here, she would ask. If I had had that piece of information, how would it have altered the outcome mm. of what had happened? Yeah. And we all know the answer to that. We do. She is a very smart young woman, and she would have made her way to emerge. The next question is, are we not ever to have our blood taken on a Friday? That's a good question. Or a Saturday? That's a good question. I went to see a doctor uh, on Friday, this past Friday, and he did a procedure on me. And then they asked me to stay for a while just to make sure there wasn't a reaction or response. And then later on Friday night, I started to feel a little weird, a little funny, physically, you know, and I wondered if it had something to do with that procedure. And I thought, I should never do this on a Friday. I should never have any procedure done on a Friday because I don't know. Who do I call? That is correct. Who do I call? I don't know this doctor. I was sent to him. I, I, I want to... Sh- I, how the system can fail as well, I've, I've, never, I've never talked about this on the air. My listeners know my wife died. You know I, I've talked to you about it. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm going to say now because mm-hmm. I've shared it with you. 
um, oh boy. In 2013, my wife started to feel not well. So we went and um, we had, um, I don't want to go into too much detail. We went for um, consultation, and the first thing that was done was a chest x-ray because she was coughing and wasn't feeling particularly great in the chest area. So logically, the first thing that was done was a chest x-ray. The chest x-ray report came back, everything normal, everything fine, no problems. Everything is exactly as it should be, nothing wrong. So they sent us to a hospital um, to see a, to see an, uh, an internist, and then we went to see a, another doctor who suggested that uh, a colonoscopy did be done. We went to see a general surgeon who shoved a needle in my wife's stomach and said that should take care of it. And then they started worrying about, started thinking about, well, what have we missed? Because she got worse and worse and worse. So they said, well, let's do nuclear imaging. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We got called in after the nuclear imaging. It was done over a weekend, Monday morning. We got called in. The doctor walked in and said to my wife, get your affairs in order. You're dying. That's all he said. And we jolted and said, you have the type of lung cancer she had. And so uh, we, I took her to a different hospital, and she was admitted, and they were, they were really good about it. And they started doing chemo because she was very close to death. She said, they said that she might die within 48 hours because she had a massive tumor on her lung that could compromise her aorta, and if it did that, she would bleed out. So they kept her alive. The, the chemo backed off the tumor enough, and anyway, a couple of weeks later, She's out of, the, out of a room and being tested, and another one of the oncologists, one of the lung doctors, specialists, came in. He said, Mr. Green, I have to tell you something. I don't want to, but by law, I have to tell you. I looked at that original x-ray of your wife, the one that was deemed to be normal, everything fine, nothing wrong. He said, I looked at it, and I called in two of my colleagues who are radiologists, and I said, look, I, I'm not going to tell you what I think. Just tell me what you see. And they both said... Large lesion, left lobe of the lung. In other words, the original x-ray showed a large malignant cancer on her lung, and the radiologist's report was everything's normal, everything's fine. It wasn't found for four months. Exponentially, that tumor grew for four months. That's all I want to say. Charlotte, you're an amazing woman. Thank you so much for, in Jesse's name, alerting people to take care, ask questions. Make sure that you know the questions to ask. Don't leave before you've asked. Don't leave before you're satisfied that everything is the way it should be. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Roy. You take good care. We'll talk. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Take care. We'll come back right after this.